0: Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode number nine of Cactus Flax Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering Block Seed, which was released in 1990 by Sega. As always, we will kick off the show with a review of the game, followed by my memories of Block Seed. Uh, that I actually owned. Now, before we get started, I just want to take 30 seconds to let you all know that I have joined Patreon. So if you have been looking for a way to support this show and all my other podcasts, like You Don't Know Flack and Sprite Castle and Multiple Sadness, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to find out how you can support me. And now on with Blockseed. (laughs) Blockseed is a puzzle game. It is a, I would call it a Tetris clone or maybe a Tetris spinoff. The control panel has two eight way joysticks. Uh, I believe they originally were the baseball bat style, uh, joysticks with a fire button on top. Uh, there are two buttons, uh, one and two player start in addition to, um, you have to have a fire button, uh, for each player. This was offered in uh as a conversion kit. Most of the block seed cabinets you will see are uh in different cabinets. Uh it was offered in a generic Sega cabinet, but uh again, uh, the most common uh, way it was sold was as a conversion kit. The object of the game uh is essentially identical to tetris you are supposed to make lines and not die <laughs> and you die by having the blocks that are being dropped build all the way up and touch the top of the gameplay area the graphics are slightly better than tetris uh, the background has rotating pictures of nature and the blocks have a little bit more detail uh, and occasionally you will see uh, little creatures showing up from uh, time to time the music itself is entertaining, and uh, there are some sound effects, too, that are pleasing. So everything is just a bit of a step up from the original Tetris. A brief review of this game, well, again, it is very similar to Tetris. Uh, The main difference between this and Tetris is that some of the blocks contain letters, and when you complete a line that contains a letter, you get the bonus that is associated with uh, with that letter. So for example, there's a bomb, uh, that is associated with the letter B F is the flicky bird who comes down from the top and allows you to shoot blocks down onto the play field and complete lines. Uh, there's a four that eliminates four rows, uh, a 16, which is a 16 ton weight. And wherever you choose to drop that will eliminate three rows of blocks as it falls down. Uh, S is a spaceship, but it's also, uh, S stands for shoot. So when the little ship comes down, you can shoot and eliminate blocks on the playfield below as well. Uh, like many of these puzzle style games in the two player mode, whenever you uh, wipe out multiple layers of blocks, you can send blocks over uh, into your opponent's side. As for uh, other systems, it was released on Moby Games, says that this is an arcade exclusive. However, uh, there is uh, a release of Sega Ages. If you're familiar with those lines of games, they are Japanese collections that were released for the PlayStation 2. And volume 25 of Sega Ages is the Tetris collection. And so this, uh, I believe it is on... Actually, I I found uh, one reference that said... Volume 25 and one that said volume 28, but whichever is the Tetris collection, uh, if you have the ability to play imported PlayStation 2 discs, I think it would be easier just to get the MAME ROM (laughs) and play this game through MAME uh, if you really want to play this. Uh, my history before purchasing this game was uh, none. Actually, I'm not the one who purchased this game. This game was purchased by my father. Uh, now, my sister is a huge, uh, or was at the time, a huge fan of Tetris. Not only was she a fan of it, she was really, really good at it. Uh, the, the story that I always tell is that uh, she told me one time that whenever she... Uh, when the blocks would come down, she would rotate uh, the playing field in her mind to see where the best place where the blocks would go. I uh, never even got that good at rotating the blocks either direction. (laughs) So I think I always rotate them uh, either clockwise or counterclockwise uh, and hope for the best. Uh, So my dad wanted to get uh, my sister a Tetris arcade game. Now we didn't own an arcade game at that time and this was a uh, uh, really a unique type present so my dad went out searching and he found uh, locally this blockseed uh, arcade game uh, there was someone selling it locally and so um, my dad bought it and it was a big uh, family Christmas present. I really, it was a, a Christmas present for my sister. Uh, the first thing he did was install a speaker kill button, uh, you know, a mute type button and put it on the, uh, the control panel. Now at that time, we didn't know anything about changing the dip switches or whatever, but the game would play, music and make sound during the attract mode. So anytime the machine was turned on, it would make noise. So if you press this button on the control panel, it basically turned off the speaker and muted the whole game. So, um, the game or machine that my dad purchased was in an orange Nintendo cabinet. It was a donkey Kong jr. Cabinet. There was no artwork on the sides there was also no plexiglass on the front in front of the monitor now there was a uh, place i think called regal plastics a local place And my dad uh, went there with the dimensions, and they cut a piece of plexiglass for, I think, $6 or $8. And it was tinted, so it looked really good. And and he put it on there, and that really finished off uh, the machine and and made it look great. Uh, He told me that he paid $200 for the machine, which was uh, really good back when we got this. This would have been the very late 80s or or possibly early 90s. and again, like uh, most of the cabinets or all the cabinets, I think that you'll find of Blockseed, this was a, uh, a conversion uh, kit. When my sister moved out, she left the arcade game uh, at my dad's house or at my parents' house. Um, and it kind of got pushed into the back corner of a bedroom and, and eventually people stopped playing it. And then things started getting piled on top of it. And, um, it just kind of got in the way. And so, uh, when I, we've established now at this point in the timeline that we have moved, uh, to my house that had the backyard arcade, I started accumulating, uh, arcade games. I already had the Bucky O'Hare machine. I already had the Shinobi machine and we had it set up, uh, looking like an arcade And my dad suggested that I go get the block seed machine from his house and move it over to the arcade. No one was uh, using it at his house. In fact, he was the only person living at his house uh, at that time. So it really just made sense to move the machine over to the arcade. And so that's what I did. I went and got it. I again, had this little Nissan hard body pickup and we uh, moved the machine over and, and that was pretty much it. Now, Uh, I had the machine up and running for a while and what happened was the monitor went out and this arcade monitors have been the bane of my arcade collecting experience. Um, I know enough about basic woodworking to, uh, you know, fix cabinet issues. I know enough about wiring to fix joystick and button issues. And I've even switched out power supplies and done basic troubleshooting, on PCBs, but, uh, fixing arcade monitors has always just been outside my wheelhouse. I've never, uh, I'm not that good at soldering. So, uh, doing a cap kit and doing the types of repairs that are needed for monitors, uh, just, uh, was something that I wasn't able to do at that time. So when the monitor went out, I, uh, I started looking online of how to swap out a monitor and do things. And I just got this idea, um, that, you know, I had heard about people making, mame cabinets I don't even know I mean this would have been oh my gosh I mean this was early on in the arcade so 2003 2004 that that time frame so uh I mean people had obviously made mame cabinets before but I didn't know anyone personally who had a mame cabinet and so I decided that this would be uh, a good donor cabinet to do that. I mean, the monitor had already gone out and someone had already converted it. It wasn't a Nintendo cabinet inside. You know, it had been uh, converted to run a JAMA game, which Blockseed is. So uh, I pulled the monitor out. I pulled the original guts out, the power supply and everything, and I put a Craigslist ad and, um, basically gave all those parts away. I didn't know that if there was any market for it. And I advertised on Craigslist, um, you know, free guts to an arcade game, come and get them. And a guy did, uh, he came and picked everything up and, um, I was left with, uh, an empty Donkey Kong junior cabinet. And so, um, you know, it had two of the small Nintendo sticks and, uh, there were three buttons per side. I, I suppose whoever had converted it to a JAMA cabinet had added, uh, three buttons per side. So I didn't have to modify anything basically to turn this into a main cabinet. I bought an IPAC, uh, which is an interface. This was before the IPACs. Now, I believe are all USB. This was prior to USB. This was a, uh, PS2 version of the IPAC. So All you had to do was run wires from each joystick switch and button switch to the iPack. And then on the other side, you plugged it into the keyboard port of a PC and it allowed you to use all the joysticks and buttons and everything with a MAME. And so I, um, now this was an interesting thing at the time. I thought for some reason, I thought if I left the PC inside the PC case, that it wouldn't feel as authentic as if I pulled the motherboard out. And so that's what I did. I took the motherboard out of the case and I took the hard drive. I mounted it to the side of the cabinet. So if you were to look inside the back of this machine, I mean, at first glance, it would look like an arcade cabinet inside. Now, nobody ever looked inside the (laughs) back of this cabinet. So I'm not sure why I felt so compelled to do it that way. Obviously, if I were doing it today, uh, I would just leave the PC intact and leave it inside. And also, I never had a good way. I always had a problem with uh, seeing what was on the monitor, which was facing, obviously, the front of the cabinet while working on the machine from the back. I, I literally had a a mirror set up at one time so that I could stand at the back of the machine when I was trying to you know work on windows or upgrade things and, and do things like that. Uh, so that I could see the front, um, I had a network card, uh, when I originally got everything set up, I put a network card in the machine and ran a cable out the back to a small uh, hub. So if I needed to upload ROMs or update things, I could go out and plug my laptop into the hub as well, uh, configure the IP addresses. It was really, um, uh, not as simple as today where, you know, I would just put a wireless card in there and, and probably... Set up a remote desktop or something so I could remote in uh, and do those things, but I, I just didn't have uh, those capabilities back when I originally set this up. I did print a marquee and I was trying to come up with a name for my main machine, and so I called it Cactus Flax, the same name as this podcast. It was named after uh, my local arcade, Cactus Flax. I used um, kind of a desert motif that's very similar to the uh, pictures that I use for this podcast. I, I just went online found some clip art and, uh, you know, wrote cactus flax and I printed it out on uh, a couple of pieces of paper and, and basically taped it in place. And you couldn't really tell it, it looked pretty good. Um, so, uh, now the funny thing about this cabinet is after I had done this, uh, people started asking me, Oh, how did you set up a main cabinet? How did you do this? And I didn't really, I hadn't followed any sort of guide. I just kind of winged it, you know, and Chris Kohler, if you're familiar with Chris Kohler, he writes for wired magazine or did write for wired. He, um, writes for a lot of, he's a, a video game journalist was putting together a book called 101 retro video game hacks or retro gaming hacks. I think that's what it's called. And he, uh, sent out basically an announcement saying he was looking for anyone who might want to write articles. And so I said, Hey, I could write one about setting up a mame cabinet. And so I did, I wrote an article for his book, which was published, uh, through O'Reilly press. And I included some pictures of my cabinet and I was so proud of this. I was so proud that I had built my own mame cabinet, done all these things. Uh, I built a little shelf inside to hold a PC monitor. Um, and in fact, at the time I wrote my own front end, I couldn't find a front end that was easy to set up. So I wrote one in visual basic and, and I was so proud of this thing. And, uh, the article and pictures of my cabinet went into the book. And that was when I discovered that there was an entire group of people, uh, arcade purists, I will call them, who did not appreciate the fact that I had put installed MAME in a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. This is not the f- the only time that I ran into this, but this was the first time that I ran into this, where people contacted me, people I didn't know, to tell me what a bad person I was, <laughs> literally, for doing this to a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. Now, again, Uh, There were no Donkey Kong parts inside this cabinet when I got it. You know, the outside of the cabinet, sure, uh, was authentic. But inside, it had already been converted probably, you know, a decade before we ever got this machine. Uh, And so, and I hadn't changed anything to the cabinet. I had changed, you know, what was inside, but uh, everything else was, was the way we had got it. But people emailed me and said that basically I was a bad person. That it was my duty to convert it back to a Donkey Kong junior arcade game, and i I never understood uh, that mentality I never understood telling other people how they should enjoy their recreational hobby. <laughs> but in the arcade world, there are lots of people out there who will do that for you. Uh, I, I mean, they came out of the woodwork and what made it worse is I had included the picture of the cabinet and the book. I mean, there is a picture of this cabinet in Chris Kohler's book and, uh, on my website as well. And so, um, yeah, people literally, people got upset with me over this. So, uh, what can you do? You know, I, I'm, I'm a fan of doing things the way you want to do it, enjoying your own hobbies, the way you want to enjoy them. So, uh, you know, you got to let it roll off you. Uh, this motherboard, uh, the PCB for block seed is one of these Sega ones. It is not a Sega system 16. It's a Sega system 14, but it is one with a suicide battery, Uh, similar to Shinobi, which I've talked about. The suicide battery means that if you try to remove the battery or, uh, you know, the battery is basically running a chip that has the uh, encryption key to some of the code that keeps the game working. So if you try to remove the chip, you can't clone it uh, because it's, it's not being decrypted. If you try to remove the battery, you lose the encryption key and the game doesn't work. But if the battery dies, then the motherboard is basically worthless and what you have to do. There are people that have since over time, decrypted those chips and you can burn a new chip basically and swap it into the board. Uh, But I didn't know about all of that back in the day. And uh, that's exactly what happened when I removed the board and put it on the shelf. Eventually the battery died. And when I went to go check uh, the board one day, uh, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't fire up anymore. And um, so a couple of years ago, I uh, I sold a lot of my arcade games to the Arcadia Retrocade over in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, we had made a agreement for, you know, X amount. I think I sold them four or five arcade cabinets uh, for X amount of dollars. And I had some things laying around that, you know, when I was getting out of the hobby, that I just didn't need anymore. And as I was cleaning things out, one was this uh block seed PCB. And so uh I pulled that out and uh and basically, you know, just kind of tossed it into the uh <laughs> the sale pile. And uh they've got some great guys. I know uh uh John Monkus over there and uh Andy Pickle and some of the other guys over there that are just super sharp techs uh and great arcade guys Uh, and, um, I believe they, they got this PCB up and running the last I heard that they had swapped it out and, um, and got it functioning. So, uh, you know, nothing in this, in this hobby is ever truly dead. You know, I mean, sometimes cabinets are (laughs) unsavable, but, uh, you know, when, when you find a piece of electronics that you can't save, there's probably someone out there that's better than you, or at least better than, than I was, uh, able to bring these things, uh, back to life. So according to Exidy's website, the current value of this game is somewhere between 100 and $150. There's no dedicated cabinet once again, so people don't have a real attachment to the physical hardware. Plus, you know, it's a, I don't want to say second rate, but it's a knockoff Tetris game. So if most people are interested in Tetris. They want to play Tetris. They don't want to play a game that looks similar to Tetris, even though, uh, it is by Sega. Uh, I looked on eBay. I didn't see any, uh, dedicated or converted cabinets. There was several, uh, PCBs for sale in the, uh, 60 to $70 range. um, And one thing I found interesting was there is a Flashpoint slash Blockseed Sega Arcade soundtrack CD for sale on eBay for $30. So, uh, this is not, I mean, while playing this game, there's nothing that I can really recall that I would think would go great on a soundtrack, but, um, uh, there you go. It's kind of interesting. So anyway, uh, would I buy this game again? Ah, probably not. I mean, it, it is a, um, you know, if I were looking for a uh, a puzzle type game, you know, if I had maybe a, um, you know, Bust a Move cabinet and and um, a couple other games like that, then I might pick this up, you know, if I were into uh, puzzle style games and, and add it to the collection. It's definitely not a bad game. Uh, it's like I said, it's just not one that most people have any sort of, uh, memory of or, or, or um, even familiar with. So, uh, there's just not a lot of, mm, Oh, I guess there's no nostalgia associated with this one. So uh, my final thoughts on this one, again, uh, it's a fun game. It's definitely a fun game. If you like Tetris and those style of games, you should fire up MAME uh, and give it a run through. It's definitely worth playing. And the little bonus things add a layer of gameplay that uh, don't exist in uh, the regular Tetris. So, uh, A quick reminder is that as part of... um, an added bonus now that I've signed up for Patreon is that if you'll go to the show notes of this uh, episode, which you can find at com, you will also find the new video supplement of me actually playing uh, this arcade game uh, on uh, uh, you know, just a brief video. So if you want to see video of the gameplay in action, head on over to podcast.robohara.com and uh, you can see the video there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cactus Flax. You can find more episodes of Cactus Flax over at podcast.robohara.com. If you'd like to contact me, send me an email at RoboHara at Robohara.com. Find me on Twitter at Commodore, or follow this page on facebook.com forward slash Flax. You can also leave a voicemail on the Rob O'Hara podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. Cactus Flax is a proud member of Throwback Network, your home for quality retro podcasts. To find this and other retro themed podcasts, visit throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening.